0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Our Strange Skies podcast. I'm your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by the man. How do you even introduce the man? He's an anomalous researcher. He's a lecturer. You've seen him on TV. Uh, if you've been on Twitter in the last decade, you've probably interacted with him. Uh, and he's pro- he's like the weirdest guy that uh, I interact with uh, on Twitter you know, social media, John Tenney. Welcome back, man.
1: Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, if you've been on Twitter for, you know, 10 plus years, at some point I'm sure you probably blocked me or muted me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's just the way of things. That's how it goes. That's, that is, that uh, is. it's the weirdness of John Tenney and it comes out online and uh, it, it definitely, uh, the thing is, and, and what I love uh, about interacting with you on Twitter is that Uh, generally i'll throw some weird ass shit out there and then you'll come and respond with weirder ass shit so it's great it's fantastic
1: it's one of those things right because i love the nonsense quirkiness and strangeness of all of this and so i feel like a lot of people they're like oh look this guy's been doing this for 30 years like let's talk to him about this weird stuff and then when i Reveal, which I don't hide, but when it is revealed to them that like, oh, I definitely love the weirdest, craziest, nonsensical aspects of this. That's when people, I think, tend to start maybe muting and blocking me, which I feel is a (laughs) loss on their end.
0: It is. It totally is. Because it opens... uh, If you're not open to this fantastic community of of weird people that uh, is on Twitter, it's just... you get all different facets of it. And and, uh, it's just great because, you know, you might get a weird ass ghost story or you might just have a very strange uh, synchronicity story that, that, that somebody has. It, It all connects into this great and sometimes really terrible place called Twitter.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think too, there's a, when people start to become interested in high strangeness ufo's ghosts cryptids whatever form it may take i feel like a lot of people start off where they're they have this idea that it's a very it's very serious in nature it needs to be studied it needs to be classified categorized quantified uh and locked down and when they see people who have a really decent sense of humor about it or they They think that they're treating it lightly, and I think that's why a lot of people will end up blocking people who like myself who make jokes and are are humorous most of the time because they're like, "Why aren't you taking this serious? Why are you being such an asshole about this?" And it's like, "Oh, I'm not. I've just come to recognize over three decades that what we're studying is very hilarious, and you should have a sense of humor about it because in a lot of cases, you find that having a sense of humor leads to a sense of open mindedness,
0: yeah, absolutely and Uh, there is a level of absurdity to these cases that in a way kind of lends credence to them, but it also just makes the situation, the account like that much more funny, which is like, especially when you're reading reports and like, there's just like an odd thing mentioned in them. Like uh in, in one of the in, in, in the main story for this episode that we'll be getting to, uh the first witness to it said something to the effect of this was a living person, it was not a puppet.
2: <laughs> it's like, <Right. laughs>
0: like um that's a that's a big ass puppet if uh if you ask me that. But uh yeah, so today we're getting into uh, something that John and I have debated on Twitter before, uh, and that's why it's called the Catman Batman of Argentina, because I think at one point, both of us have shared the same sketch online on, on Twitter of the <laughs> main figure. And, and it's just the, the pose that it's make that they're making is just absolutely ridiculous. It's
1: yeah, the but, stretched out yeah. leg, the 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 finger under the nose. It's 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 great.
0: Yeah, it it is, and uh, yeah, just uh, you know, the 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 appearance of this figure, and in particular, its ears, it 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 definitely has a Batman kind of vibe to it. But you you were f- quick to respond that no, it looks more like Catman.
1: Right, and then then people forget. There's a comic book called Catman that came out before Batman.
0: Right. Yeah. It's uh it's a forgotten piece of history that uh, you know people should yeah. visit, revisit. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, 1972, Argentina. It's uh, things got very strange. Uh, just going to the. Uh, issues of Flying Saucer Review from back in that time period. There were a lot of accounts of people seeing UFOs, people encountering strange humanoids, and they were all kind of different. I talked about one on the Patreon uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the Bahia Blanca Hitchhiker, which uh, the sketch of this individual is fantastic because he he's very human looking except for his face is very long and it almost touches his chest he just has a big huge head um but
1: that has some lost time in it right
0: i think a tiny bit not a lot but just like maybe a, a few minutes in it but it it was interesting because the guy he ultimately picks up this this guy was like basically stopping him in the middle of the road and he's like he looked pretty normal except for his head it was really big and he brings him to this ro- like further down the road and he sees this um what i think what he describes as a bus like object which uh it was just kind of long it had windows on it and it kind of fits into uh the the first story that i have here um and just that uh he was he was terrified he actually opened up his car door and he kind of like took refuge behind it and this figure just gets out and uh, apparently disappears but um in Argentina in 72 there were reports of what they called like uh, what witnesses kept calling train like objects they were mm-hmm. Long, generally described as like uh, 50 meters long, which is about 164 feet. They all had windows on them. One of the most baffling cases, uh, it occurred on July 15th, 1972. And it, it involved two men, uh, Attilio Brunelli, who was a 55-year-old composer. And he performed in a band for many years. And he was a professor of music. Also uh, another individual named Severino Porchieto. Uh, he was a sixty-one year old retired industrial worker. And on this particular night, they were guests of honor uh because of the band that they formed in their in their youth. They had traveled to a town named Belneria, which is uh it's uh, they they were from a town the a big city called Cordoba which is, I don't know if it's like the capital of Argentina, but it's, it's one of the biggest cities in the country. Mm-hmm. They lived in Balnearia for many years. They both moved to Cordoba, which uh, seems to be kind of significant here because they knew the roads very well. They traveled back like four or five times a year. And uh, they drove uh, in Portieto's 1968 Ford Falcon that night. Just a, just a classic car. They had attended a uh, dinner uh, with fifteen hundred attendees, and they took in several performances from many different orchestras. And uh, at about two thirty a.m. the next morning, they uh, got back into their car and they set off for home. Porchetto, he makes a quick stop. He puts about forty liters, or about ten point five gallons, into the tank, and apparently his car could hold. Eh, d- roughly, they said about 65 liters. Uh, so he had some, you know, he had a bit in the in the tank before leaving. When they got back on the road, it was just minutes after stopping at the service station, they passed the town of Oroyito and both men were startled by the just this, like, incredibly bright flash of white light, which is not uncommon in a lot of UFO cases and it was so bright that Brunelli said that you could see the entire countryside just light up and glancing up from the windshield Brunelli spotted this dark object that was kind of floating above the car and given the banality that UFOs bring with it he didn't really think anything of it he just thought maybe it's a storm cloud but sure that's, a, that's an awfully low-flying storm cloud right there, but they quickly dismissed it, and they kept driving on. Uh, they also noticed that the, the skies were clear, the stars were out, and there was no storm approaching at all. So despite that, and believing a storm was on the way, they sped up. It was about 3.10 a.m., and they were 76 kilometers or 47 miles from Cordoba, And a short distance up the road, on the uh, left-hand side of the road, they saw this long, rectangular stretch of lights. Again, about 50 meters long, 164 feet. And they definitely thought it was a train at first. Uh, They knew the area, they knew that trains passed up and down this way uh, every single time, but... Uh, On return trips, they noted that there were no tracks in this area, so it was just very weird. It was Brunelli who suggested that this object could be a UFO, and that's when Portieto he got nervous, and he just starts speeding off. Minutes after seeing this quote-unquote train, the Falcon approached a town they assumed to be Rio Primero, thinking that they had, like, bypassed two towns already on this trip only they didn't bypass two they actually bypassed three they approached the town of monte cristo passing through and arriving home 20 minutes later in later interviews brunelli noted how the ride was just kind of unusually smooth which was odd because the roads were uh horrendous and Portieto at one point had the impression that the car was actually just kind of floating off the road a little bit. Uh, so we have some very weird stuff going on. And when Brunelli walked through his door, he noticed that it was three 30 AM. And the thing was because they left at, you know, two 30, it was a two hour trip home. So they were about an hour early hmm. and Brunelli gets the urge to just wake up his family and start talking about the wonderful time that he had at this dinner and everything like that. Doesn't mention the UFO at all. Doesn't say anything. It's just kind of like slipped from his mind. Porchetto. He lived about 15 minutes away from where Brunelli did. He arrived home, went to bed, woke up four hours later, just feeling completely refreshed it's a pretty decent uh, situation for him. And later, both men describe themselves in a quote, "unwanted state of euphoria," which is uh, the kind of experience you I, I would want to have while seeing a UFO, I... <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And
1: do you, do you know? Do you know? Were they drive They were they driving a car or a truck?
0: It was a car. Uh, I, I looked up pictures of a Ford Falcon. It's a pretty. It's like um, it's like an average size car, pretty much. For back I'm just in the always day.
1: one of the things that I wonder. I just, it's a free floating idea that comes across in my brain every now and then. Is sometimes in UFO encounters, especially where there are encounters where there's interaction. Mm -hmm. How many times someone is driving a truck when it happens? I find that kind of aspect underexplored.
0: Mm. Interestingly enough, through these accounts, um, there is one truck that we'll get to later that uh, uh, specifically with Catman, Batman, uh, there was a truck involved in one of those uh, cases. Also a motorcycle, which is interesting, you know?
1: Yeah. I think the case you were discussing earlier, too, um, the Bahia Blanca, Mm -hmm. I think they were in a truck.
0: I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, it's just something you find popping up over and over again. Like I said, like whether you want to believe Travis Walton, like he's in a truck and uh, Truman Bethlehem, like he's in a truck and... uh, Woody Derenberger's in a truck, and like it just trucks and interactions like I said always seem to not be followed up on. I wonder what it has to do with trucks
0: it's mm, an interesting point, something I have never thought of before um yeah what what's interesting uh in particular about this um sensation of the car being lifted up off the road, there was this. I guess it's, a, it's an abduction case from South Africa that I covered on the Patreon, in which this guy and his I think it was his girlfriend at the time, they were coming back from Zimbabwe. They lived in South Africa, so they were basically driving through the night. They have a couple of UFO encounters, and at one point, kind of in this quote-unquote unwanted state of not necessarily euphoria, but fear mixed with apathy they recalled how their car was floating over uh like swamp land and stuff like that it was the, the ufo mm. had physically lifted their vehicle up and it and it was like for many miles they were on this like over this swampy land so um an interesting correlation there because it's just like What is it with UFOs taking control of cars like that sometimes?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there's some, uh, I might be wrong, but I think there's some car control, quote unquote, in Catman, Batman, too.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So the next day, Portieto's son uh, was going to take the car, and he noticed that it still had half a tank in it. So he asked his father, did you fill up again before he came home? Uh, Because he did talk about how he filled up right before he left. Uh, He had only consumed about 2.5 liters or about 3.3 gallons of gas on a trip that was uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 118 kilometers or so. So, we have, you know, I, I enjoy UFOs that can save you on your gas bill. I really do. <laughs> it's fantastic.
1: They have good gas mileage. They get you around, too. They really do. They can, pick you really up, they can pick you up in Arizona desert, fly around New York, take you to the moon and Mars and back and, you know.
0: Yeah. It's just I wish there was a taxi service. I really do. <laughs> um, so Brunelli noticed... Uh, he had some like physical sensations and one was quote an itching sensation which he located as being in the right lumbar dorsal region he described the sensation as a sort of numbness which while growing more and more evident was confined to a perfectly circular area 1.5 centimeters or about a half inch in diameter so that is interesting Uh, just like a perfect circle of numbness and itching Mm mm-hmm the circular area remained totally numb. After two minutes like that, he would again feel the itching sensation. Until the normal condition was restored, this would continue to recur about four or five times daily.
1: You know, it's a little other side note as you're saying that I I often think about uh, whenever I read cases that are possibly abduction cases and the a person involved will have one of these anomalous kind of numb spots on their body. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that when you go back and look through the the literature of witchcraft trials, one of the ways that you discovered a witch was by poking the body with a sharp stick to find the spot of the body that was numb.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that.
1: Yeah. So all witches, they would have a special, and I mean that goes all the way back to the European witch trials. Uh, the Inquisitors would have a sharp poking instrument, whether it be a knife or a, an actual poker, and they would search the, the, the woman's body to find the spot that was numb.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. The, the, the similarities are there. Brunelli also apparently had a history of having blood pressure problems, but... After having his encounter his blood pressure could just kind of stabilize. He never had a problem with it again.
1: That's the kind of alien abduction I need. I tend to run low high. The occasional healing cases that you get with some
0: UFO encounters are interesting, like that one Texas patrolman who had his uh, alligator bite cured by a UFO just like yeah. healed miraculously. That uh, I, I always love that case cuz it's just like, you know, you're out, you're out on patrol, your pet alligator bitches, you know, earlier <laughs> in the day, and UFOs got you got you taken care of. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> you know, you know, real universal health care.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Universal coming at you from the cosmos. You Just got to love it. Brunelli didn't mention anything about this train that he saw or the flash or anything for approximately 33 hours until one of his daughters who had spoken to Porchietto told her everything so when she confronted him about this it, it was just like kind of like the dam broke the the memories started coming back and he just like yeah, let it all out
1: this was in the 70s this was the same year as Catman Batman
0: yeah uh, absolutely yeah it was uh Catman, Batman, September, this is uh, July, so yeah, it's a couple months beforehand.
1: Do you know that uh, Argentinian case in 62, where the three truck drivers saw an illuminated railroad car that flew up out into the air? No. Yeah, that was uh, 62, but I'm pretty sure it was in Argentina. And uh, again, men in a truck, and they saw what they thought was a railroad car. And it uh the lights went out, and they saw kind of a red flame jet beneath it, and then it divided and flew off into different directions.
0: no kidding, that is interesting, yeah, apparently there is a the history here that uh i especially in nineteen seventy two there were multiple eyewitnesses that ended up seeing objects that were very similar uh to this one um. So the the first uh, and and these folks, uh, the uh, Asia family, were actually traveling back from Bruneo uh, headed to Cordoba. They left around the same time, maybe just a little bit later than Portieto and Brunelli did. And there was there was about a party of five in this car. They had been traveling along for about 20 minutes. They had arrived at the town of Frontera which is about 14 miles or 23 kilometers into the journey. And they witnessed the flash of intense bright light uh, in the sky. And they thought that it was also a storm that was coming in the area. They, however, arrived home at about 4.15 a.m. So they didn't get the benefits of whatever, uh, you know, teleportation that this train uh, offered, But there had been, in fact, a couple of other train object-like sightings earlier, and actually the same month in, in July. So two weeks prior, uh, colonial, uh, Colonia Helaco Emilio Albert, he was the director of an industrial school, and he was with his family in, at his country home when... Um, He observed this enormously long train-like object that was emitting a blue-green set of lights, and it landed on a nearby mountain. Minutes later, it turned into a blinding white color, and it uh, lifted up, and it it kind of just looked like a giant fireball in the sky before it sped off. And on July 8th, so this is about a week before uh, the other two gentlemen had their encounter. Carlos Altamoreno was driving to free us accompanied by Aurora uh, Bracamonte. And uh, she was a secretary and her sister Maria Angelica was with them. And they had left at around 11 PM. And minutes later, they saw this fiery orb, the size of a of a football. Uh, It dropped right in front of their car and it just like exploded on the road. Hmm. And then, Forty-five minutes later, near Colonia uh, Achalco, the car came around this bend, and from about 800 meters or uh, 2,600 feet away, they noticed an object on the ground that uh, Carlos described as a, quote, train among the trees. So there was this kind of clearing and in, uh, inside this group of trees, and there were these, just this large object that had these, greenish door sized windows in a straight line. And this object they guesstimated was about 50 meters or 164 feet long. And it was sitting on the ground and uh, Carlos was terrified. So he just quickly got out of there as as fast as he could. And from there you have the Bahia Blanca hitchhiker case. There are other uh, cases that occur in the area, but this, this brings us to the catman Batman and this case <laughs> is it's just I think the, the 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 way that I described it to certain people is like it's like if the Virginia incident had occurred around a Ford uh you know manufacturing <laughs> plant that's the best way I can describe it because that's it's, it's kind of what it is
1: yeah yeah. We had a uh, in Michigan. We had a nineteen uh, sixties sighting of some little green men around a GM plant, but it was nothing like Catman Batman.
0: Catman Batman is uh, it's a set of incidents that occurred over about the uh, course of the week, and it occurs in a place called Santa Isabel, which is a um, a neighborhood of Cordoba that. Um, there's a manufacturing, a, a car manufacturing plant. They produce kind of, um, I think, a bunch of different uh, you know, parts that are then shipped out to other processing plants and such. The first incident occurred on September 21st to a gentleman named Teodoro Merlot. He was 56 years old. And the plant in question is the Ica Renault plant. At the time he was working, he was in charge of a washroom on this plant and he had locked the doors at about 140 in the morning and at around 540 AM, he was headed to unlock the doors as the next shift was coming in. A lot of the maintenance workers and cleaners were coming in at around this time. So he headed over to the washrooms to put out some you know, soap and towels and, and turn on the lights and stuff. The building was completely empty at the time. He switched on the building's lights from the outside, and he proceeded in through one of the doors. He unlocked the first door, and he headed down a hallway to the first station to deliver some towels, and he noticed that the light in the station opposite to him uh, had turned on, strangely enough. And that was when he noticed a figure bracing themselves against a wash basin, but he remained calm somehow. Just like, somebody's already in here. That's kind of weird. I locked this place up, but there's no reason to be alarmed. I, again, that apathy just, like,
1: you know, it's uh, so I will tell you as a person who I was a custodian for a number of years when I was first starting in college, and so I had to lock up buildings and close them down and be the only ones there and reopen them. And from the descriptions that I've read, I mean, it really does seem like when they talk about him unlocking and locking up this washroom, like it seems like there are probably shower stalls in there, too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like noticing oh someone got in here and might be taking a shower like that moment of it's okay this is still something that is playing out feels somewhat normal to me like there were times when I was locking up high school a notoriously large high school that was actually my high school that I went to and the way that the locker rooms were set up there were times when no one was supposed to be in there but because of other custodians and sometimes after school events I would walk into what I thought was a completely isolated locked room and I'd hear something and I didn't immediately freak out because I was like oh well someone else is is in here.
0: That's fair I would freak out but that's just me (laughs) that's that's how I roll. Uh, I'm getting freaked out I am probably throwing something that's that's just how you handle things sometimes so after delivering those towels and stuff and stuff he continued on to the station where this figure was leaning he had looked briefly into a mirror and that's when the light in the area that he had previously been in suddenly went out he heard uh, a sound that was like metal striking glass and in the other area where the light failed to turn on it came on very brightly, and the figure that was in there was gone. It disappeared. They were nowhere to be found. Merlot quickly just kind of searched the area and uh he he couldn't find anybody and and it was it was mysterious because there was really no other way to get out unless he kind of pushed past him and went through the door that he had just unlocked because the other one was locked. There was no way that they could have gotten out. Uh, they explained that the vents were the only way in through them was by, uh, there was like a special mechanism or something like that, that operated them. But it just apparently, uh, you know, tall ass David Blaine disappears <laughs> in this bathroom. That's
1: Again, I have, uh, just my personal experience. Um, working in big buildings, I I can still see why he would have some concern, but Mm -hmm. not be overly freaked out by it. Uh, I, in certain circumstances, in locations where I was doing overnights, uh, I had been in, there was one elementary school I worked in for almost a year, And I was notoriously, it was an old building. It had a ton of additions added onto it over time. And in the year that I worked there, I still don't think I ever found all of the kind of quote unquote hiding spots and corners and doors. Even though I had locked that building up for a year, I was always surprised to find like, oh, this closet actually leads into an access room or something that I had always imagined was just a washroom actually led to more interior rooms. So I can still kind of see why he's not fully freaking out mm-hmm. that maybe someone got in or out or passed me, or maybe there's another door somewhere that I just am not aware of.
0: All right. You know, John Tenney, uh, nothing but an element of calm in a situation <laughs> that is just terrifying.
1: Once you, once you've died, you're pretty okay with a lot of weird stuff.
0: <laughs> That's my that's my new motto yes i will I will adopt that, and I will start telling that to everybody uh,
2: so,
0: so- where this episode gets its title is in the description of the being that Merlot encountered, despite the fact that the immediate area where this figure was was not completely lit, the mercury vapor lamps were casting enough light for him to see, and not only that but this figure was just like the the gesture is hilarious. And we, we kind of mentioned it at at the top, but uh, just in the description, this was a very tall person. They were bracing themselves on a wash basin and, and just judging by the posture of this figure, which I don't know, he could be a fencer. He could be a dancer, ballet dancer or something like that. You know, he he seemed to have some pretty uh, good, um, I think he I think he could flex very well a good yoga skills, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely, I think, I think also, just to reveal, I mean we're talking about someone who might be eight feet tall,
0: yes, absolutely. He had said somewhere around two point four to two point five meters, which is about eight feet tall, so this is an incredibly tall figure. They were wearing you know form fitting clothing, a dark blue one piece outfit that uh, left the hands and the head exposed. Uh, They had long, thin fingers on their hands. Um, I think they had, you know, four fingers and a thumb, but it wasn't totally clear. Their head was very large, and it curved uh, toward the back. There was no hair. And their skin was, like, they described as plaster white. So just, like, um, kind of yeah if you look at a piece of drywall there you go that's that's how yeah. like white their skin was yeah uh, the eyes and ears were kind of the most distinct feature. the ears were incredibly long they actually uh they were pointy at the top and they kind of stretched most of the length of the head and the being's eyes were large too and at first underneath them, he thought there was some kind of marks, but he couldn't distinguish them because of the gesture that this figure was making which it had bent its arm its left arm or right arm yeah it's right arm and it and it angled it up and it looked like it was smelling its finger that's yeah it's, it's
1: making it. either it's making either a shushing motion or snipping its own finger
0: yeah that's that's <laughs> it's tough you know like is he trying to be the ghost at the beginning of the ghostbusters film i don't know like is this Is this the new library? Is the bathroom the library could be? I don't know.
1: I might be incorrect in this, but also, uh, is the creature using uh, standardized ASL sign language and saying that he is ugly? Because I think that's what you do to make the ugly face. You put your finger under your nose and pull it forward.
0: Yeah, uh, that could very well be.
1: Or maybe his finger smells.
0: Uh, It could be like that could be the whole. All right. We've I think we've busted open this whole thing. He was in there to wash his hands or his finger. I don't know. One of those two things. That's the whole damn reason that he was in this washroom is that uh, they were there to wash their finger and he was just kind of smelling it to make sure that, you know, maybe if he was going to greet this individual on wherever this person comes from, if they have a smelly finger, it's considered you know bad manners or something like that. I totally understand that we're getting to the bottom of this and <laughs> I'm glad you're here, John, for this uh you know
1: UFO you euphenots like we gotta pull over my my fingers just smell
0: yeah, just gotta <laughs> gotta give him a quick rush. Oh God, he locked up. that's okay. I'll get it in. no problem. no problem. so Merlot later noted how the room was actually warmer than it should be. And following the incident, he suffered from eye irritation, repeated headaches, back pain, as well as redness and burning and a burning sensation on his nose. So he was concerned by the incident, puzzled by the fact that somebody could have gotten in. He didn't report that, though, because he didn't want to get in trouble or anything like that, fearing that. He, he didn't check the building before he locked it up, but he did make a sketch of this figure, and uh, he headed for home at about 630 a.m. I don't know why I would have gone back to work other than, you know, you, you got to make a living, but he went back to work. He boarded the bus at 910 p.m. During the trip uh, in the mirror that was above the bus driver, he saw the face of. Of the figure from the washroom reflected back at him, and I don't like this at all. I I don't.
1: I don't. <laughs> this is a favorite part of the story: is that hours later, in a bus full of people, yes, he sees the Catman Batman re- face reflected in the mirror.
0: Yeah, just like why, why, why? Like we have we have a psychic disturbance here. And judging by it, it seems like this being was trying to clear up some misconceptions that Merlot may have maybe have had about the, his facial features. That's what it seems like to me. It, it brings to mind the uh, experience that Whitley Strieber claimed to have, in which he saw the alien head in his like brain or something right. like that. So it, it's very, it seems very like, hey. This is what my face looks like. So he sees the face in this mirror for about three minutes before it just disappears. But uh, the, the some of its facial um, features kind of becomes clear. He can now see that the upper lip of this being kind of protrudes beyond the lower one. There are some reddish brown patches on both cheeks and below the eyes. There are these kind of two sharp, converging lines, and the being—this uh, is my favorite fact—the the being apparently had eyebrows, but they looked painted on. Yeah. 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 The face vanishes, and he kind of just buries himself in his work, but he decides at five a.m.
1: Um, and just for anybody listening too, he does turn around and look and make sure there's yeah. no one back
0: there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, "Oh god, is this guy on the bus?" and he does look around. There's there's nobody on the bus. There's just like some psychic head in a mirror, you know, just hanging yeah. out, clearing up misconceptions. I I really don't know why <laughs> uh if the, is this Whatever this being is, are they self-conscious about how they're going to be depicted in UFO magazines in the future? I don't know. Maybe.
1: Do they want to get the description right on the on the podcast with Rob and John?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and if I get visited by a man that looks like this, I'm going to be pissed. But hopefully they don't visit me at my home, but maybe at work. I don't know. Maybe while well, on the walk to work tomorrow... It's going to be minus 18, so it'll make the trip that much faster. So he hands the sketch over to security personnel, and they kind of note it. They don't really do anything with it. But a few days later, while he was going into the pressing shop's washroom, he was with a a colleague at the time, he immediately became terrified when the lights would not turn on. So the two of them kind of just swiftly walk away. They return to the building a couple hours later and the lights turn on with no problem. Uh, interestingly enough, Merlot noticed that his wristwatch and his alarm clock had stopped working at one point, but oddly and this, it occurred when he was home, his wall clock hadn't. So he came to the conclusion that because he had touched the uh, his watch and his alarm clock with his hands, that he somehow made them stop.
1: Yeah, that he magnetized them in some way.
0: Yep. Yeah. But interestingly enough, the account does not end with Mr. Merlot. There was another individual, a 19 year old man named Enrique Moreno, an administrative employee. He delivered uh, documents to different buildings. And he drove a motorcycle to do it because this plant is rather large, you know, get around quickly and deliver these things. So uh, he usually worked until about 1130 at night distributing these documents and such. This incident occurs six days after Merlot's on September 27th. Moreno had just left the security office at about 1030 p.m. And he's actually required to keep a diary, which he notes. And he was traveling to the engineering office to deliver blueprints. And because this was a quick delivery, he just chose to run in. He didn't turn on the lights or anything and just put down the blueprints on the table. Except when he was in there, the lights started to flicker on and off on their own without flipping switches here. So this happened for about 15 seconds. And then, um, Some rows would turn on and some would turn off like this was very intermittent in the way that it was happening. Another thing that was very odd is that he could hear the hum of like a turbine Uh, kind
1: of a buzzing, uh, buzzing sound.
0: Yeah, but the problem was is that there was no machinery running, so he didn't really know where it was coming from. And I feel for this man because when I hear a hum and I don't know where it's coming from, I get scared. I get immediately freaked out. Cause it's just like, I, I I'm a worrier. So when something doesn't, when something new comes into, my perception and I don't immediately recognize it. I get a little scared. I get a little concerned, a little bit of anxiety.
1: You know, I have, I was in bands for a long time, so I have pretty bad tinnitus from loud music, but do you, are you one of those people? I am. Uh, like if you walk into a house, you can tell if a TV is on because you can hear the electricity buzzing from yep. the TV or the radio. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, used to be a lot easier with the uh, old um, tube, TVs.
1: tube TVs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, you, I could definitely tell Anytime I walked in a room. Marino noted that the sound was kind of distinct. He had never really heard it before, but, uh, you know, he was freaked out. He quickly got on his motorcycle and he drove to the stores department where he dropped off some documents there. It was now about 1113 p.m., so it was getting close to uh, quitting time. And Moreno's attention was taken by a, quote, sort of rainbow very near to the ground, far in the distance, kind of beyond the plant from his perspective. And I'll be posting in the show notes kind of the, the articles um, so you can see the diagrams that were drawn for this thing. Uh, and I'll post those online too, on social media and stuff. But, like, uh, it's it's not exactly clear where he sees this rainbow, but I'm assuming it's, like. Yeah, they didn't even note it on the, on the, the yeah, diagram because it was, was just, yeah. yeah. So he just kind of tried to ignore that, retracing his route back to the security office rather quickly. But then another al- anomaly caught his attention on the right side of the road. He could see a bluish green figure moving slowly, preparing to cross the road in front of him. At first he thought it must have been kind of one of the workers just out there because he was in kind of a like a pile of car chassis and like these were like lined up uh, in like a long row and they were actually set to be uh, exported to Chile but this individual was excessively tall <laughs> and and and, and Moreno noted that he said it was like he was standing on stilts in a way. Uh, Perhaps, you know, it was a guy who was, like, playing a prank on him. He was young. He was kind of new at the job. So, you know, sometimes people do that, I guess. Um, But when he was about 30 meters from this figure, about 90 feet, 98 feet away, they turned their entire body toward him. And he described their movements as like jerky and like almost like it was having difficulty turning a bit. And then that was when his motorcycle backfired and it started to shake uncontrollably in his speed. He started to slow down. The cycle just kind of lurched forward a little bit before it stopped completely adjacent to where this figure was. And, Similarly, he described this figure as 2.4 meters tall or about eight feet with angular features, large ears. The description is pretty much nearly identical to Merlot's, except for uh, a couple of uh, differences. Uh, He described the eyes as like sparkling yellow, kind of like a light bulb. And he added a feature. There was this large silvery belt With this oval buckle, and on one side, it uh, looked like he it there was kind of a protrusion that was connected to it. So you know, space cowboy, I guess. I don't know.
2: And
1: and similarly too, wearing a full body suit. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Just pretty much every feature, like the sketches that that are produced for this from. Uh, from all three men's recollections they're pretty much exactly the same I I do like Moreno's because he's smiling this figure is smiling which is kind of nice it kind of breaks the you know fear a little bit which I appreciate Uh,
1: (laughs) this one's herky-jerky like a broken robot
0: yes yes exactly and From the moment that he got close, Moreno started to experience this kind of loud humming in his ears, and he also felt an itching sensation through his body and a kind of paralysis. His mouth became dry, and he started to experience pain at the back of his neck. It just sounds like he's about to ask somebody out on a date. I mean,
1: (laughs) a very tall, herky-jerky robot. Yeah. Uh, I've waited my whole life to ask you out to this prom and now I'm having second thoughts. Seeing (laughs) as you stopped my motorcycle, uh, you can turn your body completely in in robotic form and fashion, and you're a giant Batman. I'm now having second thoughts.
0: Yeah, completely. Uh, It was uh, was not love at first sight. But uh, the area where the sighting took place was also excessively hot, and it was accompanied by the smell of burning oil. And... This all seemed to cause Moreno's eyes to burn a little bit. So yeah, definitely that date is not going to happen now. And (laughs) after about 45 seconds, the motorcycle kind of took off, made a left-hand turn on its own. He he did not have control of it whatsoever. And the machine sped quickly before slowing uh, a little bit. Moreno said he couldn't recall whether he was like driving the rest of the way or if it was steering itself. But uh he was going it was going pretty fast. It was uh it was a brisk, like 50 kilometers per hour, about 31 miles an hour on a um in a place that he shouldn't be traveling that fast. And apparently on the last turn, it almost tipped over completely. By the time that he arrived at the security office, the horn went off, signaling the end of the shift. And what's interesting here is that Moreno's watch stopped at about 11.13, and he said that this encounter didn't last more than maybe two or three minutes, so there's a 17-minute time difference here right? that we can't really account for. Did he stare at this figure for, like...
1: Yeah, it seems like he was paralyzed or didn't realize the passage of time. I don't think that there's actually, I mean, for him there's lost time, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just interesting that it goes from that spot to another spot without him even noticing, you know, how, how, how long it's gone on.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: And there's a, there's another interesting feature here with this, with the sighting of this individual where it had been standing. There were two rectangular footprints, about 20 centimeters or seven inches by 40 centimeters or 15 inches, and they were embedded into the hot soil, and, and the soil was hotter than the, the soil around it, so it was embedded about two centimeters or three quarters of an inch, and inside the depression in the ground were, quote, luminescent particles resembling mica, which is not really uncommon because there is a lot of mica in the area that they do note. Mm-hmm. So it it's, it's something. So this foot did it embedded in the ground. And despite the physical evidence, the security dismissed it because Moreno, he went right into the office. He's like, Hey, you got to come back here. Some weird stuff has, has gone on. And they accused him of seeing things. Not only that, they went to the spot and they just kind of erased those footmarks. So, yeah, they just rubbed them right out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Moreno kind of became the target of ridicule around the plant. Interestingly enough, his health just kind of started to take a nosedive right after that. And he was taken to the first aid room where his blood pressure dropped and he lost consciousness. Moreno was sent home via ambulance, and during the ride, he received a sedative, and in his state of semi-consciousness, a series of words and numbers repeated in his head. Words like coordinates, latitude, longitude,
1: and the number 18. That's actually one of my favorite parts, because I don't discuss it that often, but that's my magic number. That's why I love, one of the reasons I love this case.
0: And you know what's interesting is that I'm recording another episode on Friday, and there was a uh, I'm covering the um, Kelly Cahill Cahill Australian Mm -hmm. abduction. And she described at one point how I think it was following her first uh, abduction on the road. She was in a state where she was receiving information. So apparently this is just, you know um, another step in the right direction or something. I don't know, but it's, it's interesting. It, it keeps popping up for me here. So I will note that and assume I am on the right track.
1: Awesome. 18 is a nice little signpost guide that people should be looking for.
0: Noted. I will note that. Uh, he was ultimately taken to his fiance's house where he was kind of delirious. And he kept repeating that he had seen a mechanical man. And the pale 19-year-old collapsed in a chair and fell asleep, though his sleep was fitful. And he kind of just, like, convulsed in the chair for a while before waking up and just going home. Like, nothing had happened. He seemed fine. Which is very odd. And yet, he also returns to work the next day. And has another encounter with (laughs) the Catman-Batman. Yep. So on September 28th, he was picking up some tools from the teleprinting section when he had the impression that someone was watching him and from a window, he could see the same figure he had seen the night before the fluorescent lights flickered on and off and a soft hum filled the room. And then the teleprinter started to fire up. which, uh, you know, this, uh, being is, uh, incredibly into labor. So, you know, uh,
1: he doesn't want anybody to miss their job. That's for sure.
0: No, he's it, it's like a supervisor position here. <laughs> Moreno he runs to the security office and he asks them to come quickly. And they gripped him by the arm and told him to calm the hell down. And then he was just doing this for uh, attention seeking. But the sightings didn't end. With Moreno, there was there's another individual, and he didn't even actually work at the plant. He made deliveries for another company. So on the same night that Moreno had his second sighting, uh, Luftold Rodriguez, a 52 year old truck driver, was delivering technical machinery to the plant. It was 3:40 a.m. and he was delivering. There's, there's
1: that truck I'm looking for.
0: Yeah, that's right there. And he was delivering some sheet metal trimmings, which uh, he was responsible for offloading. He was set to head back when he noticed that the whole area was lit up. On the right hand side, he noticed that someone was approaching the truck from behind. This is yeah, that's creepy. We don't we don't need that. He looked out and saw the side profile of a torso that belonged to a very tall individual. The being then stopped and did a right turn and looked directly at him. Moments later, he did another turn and marched off in a straight line.
1: And I'm, I'm pretty sure, too, in that account, when he turns, he turns his entire torso, head, arms, everything all at once.
0: Yes, yes. It is a very uniform, like, military folks couldn't do this. Like, just, it, it was... Well it, it was better executed this night than it had been the night before when he looked at <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when he looked at Moreno. Yeah. So Rodriguez's description is in line with Merlots and Moreno's this figure is wearing the belt. And the only difference here is that Rodriguez notices that the being is carrying this kind of like spherical object in its hands in its right hand. This was kind of the first time that this being was seen walking, right. He described the movements as stiff and rigid. This figure barely bent their knees, and when they put their foot down, they kind of slightly leaned in one direction. so this is a very poorly designed, whatever this is, and you know that it that is what it is. You could probably improve on that. It's no terminator, that's for sure. <laughs>
1: It's like Terminator 1.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're we're not even to uh, We're a far cry from T-1000 here. Right. The engine of the truck stopped briefly and the streetlights went out and he could hear a humming in his ears. That was kind of like the sound of bees he described it as. He felt immobilized and his truck seemed to vibrate, damaging a transistor radio in the process. When the entity had walked out of view... The truck started again, and the streetlights came back. A stunned Rodriguez sat there until staff members asked why he hadn't picked up their new load. He explained what had happened, and an immediate search was conducted, but nobody was found.
1: I, I think it's interesting that they take his word for it, yeah, more than the employee's words for it.
0: Do you think it's just like an age thing? You know, like 19 yeah, years. Yeah, most
1: de- most definitely. Yeah.
0: The investigators of this case, Dr. Oscar Galindez, uh, who um, I'm kind of jealous because he's in a UFO group with his dad. They founded a UFO group. And, you know, that that seems like cool as shit. You know, it's cool to have, you know, that parent that shares an interest that you can go hunt UFOs and talk to witnesses with. That's that's cool as shit. They ended up finding a number of eyewitnesses that had seen UFOs in the area and figures, uh, a woman named Corroga, uh, she was a resident near Santa Isabel, claimed to see an object shaped like a crystal tube that had retrieved a, a human figure, uh, just like beamed them right up. That's pretty cool. You love it. Norberto Grosso, a resident of Barrio Cologne, a suburb of Cordoba, was driving his car when his wife in the passenger seat saw a luminous object rising up from the Santa Isabel plant. So that's interesting. And many residents of Villa El Liberato, a suburb adjacent to Santa Isabel, saw luminous uh, globes ascending on multiple nights. So uh, this is just like a batshit baller cool ass weird
1: story (laughs) i do love it i mean the the fact that you have so many people reporting lights that you have multiple witnesses describing and i'm assuming i don't know uh how deeply you've looked into uh, oscar glendis's work but I'm, I'm assuming that the plant didn't share the encounters like when they were reported mm-hmm. with other people at the plant. So the fact that you're getting descriptions from multiple people who haven't interacted with each other that are describing the same thing is super fascinating.
0: Yeah, because there definitely was this it's stigma around it because this is their, you know, livelihoods. This is their jobs. They don't want to stir the pot or anything like that. So why would they necessarily, you know, want to report this stuff? They just kind right. of, and and again, it gets back to the last time that you were on the show, John, and you talked about, you know, sometimes you got to go door to door. Sometimes you got to knock on those doors. Sometimes you're going to get those doors slammed in your face, but you won't know until you show up there.
1: Yeah. You know, I um, was going to say, I was introduced to this case first when uh, this way back when, Uh, But I found a copy of this case reported in the UFO magazine, Stendek. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was in Spanish at the time, but they had the pictures of the creature. And uh, this must be early 90s, late 80s. But I went to the community college because I knew the Spanish teacher over there. And I was like, can you translate this for me? It was so funny because she was reading it and then translating it to me and not doing a great job, just kind of giving me an overview of the case. And, and it was so funny when I finally said like, I need you to literally trans, like I remember this moment where I was like, I need you to literally translate this for me, not give me the high points. Because she would say things like, and it was tall and uh, you know it was walking in that direction. And when she started to write things down and instead of saying it was tall, saying like, it's eight feet tall, like, that's where it started to become super interesting, too.
0: Are there any cases, just given, you know, how long you've been researching this stuff and, and, and is there any cases that you could think of that are similar to this other than like, yeah, like Virginia, which, you know, may or may not be a hoax. We're eh, I'm kind of on the fence with that. You know, I don't think the Brazilian military gave a particularly good explanation for it, but... Um, there are definitely some discrepancies and sensational aspects to it, but are there any other cases that you could think of that are similar to this other than like, you know, you know, other individual aspects of the case, you know, like certain aspects is, because I'm kind of like blanking on this.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, I, I'm discovering this with the, the, thing that I've been trying to put together the book I've been trying to write on the Michigan, like Formanaut sightings that I'm calling them. It's just like the weirder the incidents become obviously the less likely people are to talk about them. So to find cases that fit the specificity of like Catman, Batman is hard to do because people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to be pigeonholed as crazy or, or drunks or overly imaginative or, um, so, I mean, I think one of the reasons that I like Catman, Batman so much is because, you know, I, I don't think we're going to get more sightings of it. But we have kind of enough to, mm-hmm. to start thinking that this is a really weird thing that actually did happen. That was it being experienced. What was happening, we obviously don't know. Um, I And then I find these weird little... I don't know how my brain works when I'm putting information together, but this was probably I don't know ten years ago going through when I had eleven years when I moved into my new house and reorganizing my files. like I'm a big comic book guy, right? And mm-hmm. so one of the things that I looked at was like, well, what what's actually going on with Batman in nineteen seventy two like is there anything happening there? And there's really not because i thought like well maybe batman had been on television and so everybody had this idea of batman in their head and I, i i could never really track down i know you know the 1966 batman show is probably being rerun somewhere in argentina at the time but i do remember stumbling across talking to another comic book nerd friend of mine uh he pointed out that i think it was in 71 or in 72 is when it was either Collegeville or... But 71 or 72 is when the kind of 1970s kids' Batman costumes were released. Mm. The ones that came in a a cardboard box with a kind of transparent front, and they had those plastic masks inside of them. Yep. And uh, Scott, the person I was talking to at the time had one, and he said, well, you know, these came out in 71 or 72, and when I was looking at the mask of Batman, I was like, this does look so much like Catman, Batman, like, it's amazing, but it just, there's, I mean, even the the way that the nose is triangular uh, in that costume, but what was super interesting to me was when I turned it around to put it on my face, and it immediately burst that it's bright white, and it looks chalky. And it looks like you were talking about, like drywall. And the way that in Catman, Batman, the eyes are described as, you know, all shaped, but horizontal, like not uh, curved upwards, uh, but elongated. And I was like, this... The inside of this Batman Cat Man Batman mask looks like Batman Catman exactly. Like I can I'll send you a picture. It's it's startling how much it actually fits the description. So then how does that tie into it? Like was someone literally just on stilts in a body tight uniform wearing a child's Batman mask? That sounds crazier than an alien.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. That that is more sensational. the
1: i mean i I really do think it's funny that like uh, a skeptic or a debunker would be like well you know obviously there was someone running around this plant in argentina on stilts in a full body costume wearing a child's batman mask that's obviously an easier explanation i'm like no that's more fucked up than what probably happened (laughs)
0: that is like some that's like serial killer shit right there, like
1: yeah, for
2: sure.
0: <laughs> like, uh, yeah, this is like the beginning or of the kind of Ben Cooper era of costumes. So, oh, yeah, 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 it
1: was Ben Cooper, yep,
0: yep. Uh, because I remember having a couple of Ben Cooper costumes in the 80s when I was a kid, I, yeah, I had a Darth Vader one. I had, I think I had a clown. I was a clown one year, and I wasn't allowed
1: to wear my Darth Vader Ben Cooper costume to school because it was considered too scary by the principal. Tell you about the (laughs) seventies.
0: Wow, I guess so. Damn, I don't recall ever being scared by Star Wars, but you know, I mean, I
1: think I was scared by some of the aliens in the bar when I first saw Star Wars, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I. When it comes to these types of cases, it is uh, first of all amazing to me because there are I mean you, you pretty comprehensively talked about everything that happened, but just hitting those points of like you know there was talked about like the the demagneting or magnetization of, of, of watches and clocks and the radio inside one of the trucks you know went off and the motorcycle going off. so you've got all that. Great flying saucer UFO stuff of you know electromagnetic interference, and you've you've got people losing time or either either being in a hypnotic state. You have that uh, weird almost psychical impression of seeing the face in the reflected mirror, uh, and you know even the second time that uh, the entity was seen while well, the lights were flickering on and off um, by. Uh, uh, who was the second? Moreno. Oh, was that? Yeah, Moreno. Uh, like, I think that he sees the face through the window the second time when he sees it outside. So, like, is that a reflection too? Was it actually behind him? And, you know, because he said he started feeling creepy when the when the lights were flashing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's got all the great flying saucer stuff, and it, it honestly is just never going to be solved.
0: Nope. it's It's fucked up. That's the best way to describe it.
1: It's... Yeah, I mean, and Moreno, I don't even know if he's alive now. He'd be, you know, what, uh, 69, almost 70 years old.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, it's just like, again, it's the Virginia incident on a Ford plant. It's uh, the uh, and, and it makes you wonder what the hell was it so interested in uh, that it, it made multiple Trips to this plant over the course of a week, and and like we don't even know if there are other witnesses that did see it that didn't report a damn thing. So, um, it's uh, it's curious just it, it, because it kind of goes against the grain of you know most humanoid cases, with the exception of like Mothman. Um, you don't normally see the same figure over and over again. Normally it's a one and done situation. So Catman Batman is unique for, for many different reasons. And it is,
1: it's one of those great, like last waves of like the, the UFO or extraterrestrials, aliens, whatever you want to call them. Like it's the last one of the last great cases where they're not complying to a little gray alien with a big head and black eyes. Like this is an eight foot tall Catman.
0: Yes. It is. It's got some really cool ears and it'll fuck with your car. But you know, that is that is the story of the Catman Batman. John, thank you for coming on the podcast and just like talking this this weird shit. John, you you've got a weekly podcast out now. You know, you've had Yeah, but it has
1: nothing to do with paranormal. (laughs) Uh, It's still though. Still unless I get into rambling about it. Still Uh, though. it's called What's Up Weirdo. It's just me and my friend Jessica. We have a phone call once a week and then we just release it because I really do feel like with pandemic and quarantine, one of the things that I miss the most is going to a bar or restaurant and just overhearing people's weird conversations. And so I thought, you know, let's just give people a weird conversation once a week. They can put on in the background and they can sound like their friends are over.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's great. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you have not listened to it yet... You'll just like find yourself laughing, you know, in while you're out in public. It's great. So you should definitely go check out what's <laughs> up you weirdo. Know. It's it's fantastic. Uh John, where where can people keep up with you on the internet and, and such?
1: Uh I've tried to make it as easy as possible. So Twitter and Instagram is just John E. Altenny. Uh, the podcast is What's Up Weirdo. That's what's What'sUpWeirdo.com. Available at all your podcast providers, and I usually just tell people go to Google, type in my last name T E N N E Y, and then type weirdo after it, mm-hmm. and follow whatever trail it leads you down. Yeah,
0: it's yeah, and that's that is knowing john tenney is you're you're in for a ride no matter how you seek him out or how he comes uh into your peripheral vision and uh completely consumes your life that's how it happens that's just how it happens folks it's great you're all you're (laughs) along for the ride now so uh as for us the our strange skies podcast you can find us on most podcasting apps and uh if you'd like to help us out you know leaving ratings and reviews helps uh if you want to leave ratings and reviews for what's up weirdo. You can do that too. You can do that on Spotify. Now it's pretty great. Uh, you can share the show with a friend talking about it on social media is great. I love it. You you guys make me cry when you do that. So please make me cry more. It's fantastic. Uh, if you want to support us monetarily, uh, patreon.com slash your UFO guy. And for $3 a month, you get early access to this episode in particular. This thing's going to be out like three weeks before it hits the main feed. So, if you want early episodes and bonus episodes, check that out. I have a bunch of other projects, The Order of Podcasters, Rolling Through the Realms. If you like RPGs, go check those out. And uh, special thanks, as always, to our patrons for kind of making me less poor uh, through podcasting. It's great. It's fantastic. Uh, thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO for the intro and outro to this program. Special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for our fantastic new logo, which is very flying saucer review tribute. So uh, it's fantastic, and uh, to the great Desdemona, she does our t-shirt designs, and she did our previous logo. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or among the chassis at an Argentinian car manufacturing plant. In gray, we trust.
2: we